0: Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 215, I chat with Benson Saulo, the incoming Council General to the US. Benson discusses his passion for positive change, building networks, and also shares his cultural insights as a descendant of both the Wemba Wemba and Mari Aboriginal nations, as well as New Island province in Papua New Guinea. This is Benson's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Benson, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. No worries. Thanks for having me. Really excited. I am really looking forward to delving more into your story because there's a lot of layers there that I want to know about. But to get us started, can you share with us an item of significance? So just explain something that gives us a little bit of context about Benson. I mean, I know there's lots to you. So, you know, is there something you can describe that gives us a bit of an introduction to who you are and the journey you've been on?
1: No worries. Well, I'm going to hold it up so you you can see it because we're obviously doing this on zoom but um uh, i'll try and my best to describe it it's uh it's two leaves that are tied together so these two leaves are significant to me because this is part of uh, a cultural ceremony or cultural practice in papua new guinea so uh, when my wife and I got married in two thousand and sixteen, uh, we had some of our family from Papua New Guinea come across, and they're what we call Mai's. So my uncles are and, and fathers and grandfathers. They are maimais, which are the elders um, of the community. And what this uh, these two leaves that are tied together signifies what's called a, a golgol, and golgol is actually a, a strong connection, a strong bind. So when we got married my uncle lama sisi um he walked around us three times and then tied the golgol around our hands but the power of a golgol is that it can't be untied or un- broken unless it's by a mai mai by an elder and um it, it's interesting because this this practice has some um, significance up there is actually so powerfully held by community that you know there's you know there's a lot of kind of mining sites and, and, and other inforestation kind of sites that happen up in Papua New Guinea, but if the community decide to actually tie a golgol across the, the, the road um, people in the community won't, won't work, like they won't go in there until the Mai Mai who put it there goes and, and releases it, and so it's actually a significant element around um, power that signifies connection and respect and responsibility.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. What I might do is get you to take a photo um, so I can share that on the social media. So as we share the episode, people can see it. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Oh, Benson, thank you for sharing that. And I love, you know, what it does for me is obviously weaves in, you know, you're talking about your culture and your history and family and traditions. So that's Obviously, something that's been really important to you in your journey, and you know what you are doing now.
1: Absolutely, it, it, for me, it's really the foundation. So, my father's from Papua New Guinea, is um, uh, from New Ireland Province. So, our, our community up there is very remote. So, it's uh, you know still subsistence living. And my father left when he was about nineteen to come to Australia. He was a, a young minister. Um, and so in the 70s, when the revival kind of happened, he, he went around and he was actually uh, under this new teaching that, well, I guess an expanded understanding of um, the gospel in the sense that in the past it was around you need to park your culture. You know, your, your culture's bad. You need to embrace religion. The institution of religion and um what this new revival and what this new mission was actually around was saying well no an identity of someone is the you know the cultural identity no as well as your spiritual identity and your relationship to to god and that's where the role of the church and faith has played an important role in my life but then also the role of culture and not seeing that as separate or in conflict with each other um, has been really the foundation of, of my life.
0: And, you know, you're really positive about building change, building networks and sharing knowledge and learning. And that all seems to weave from that sort of background as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, one of the great quotes that I, I love has kind of driven, driven me for a number of years um, is, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. It's a quote by Gandhi. From a very young age, Particularly growing up, you know, with the church, but then also community as well. It's always about the other, as well, um, and it's always about kind of um, you know having the sitting at the long at the long table breaking bread together. It's about being inclusive. It's about the relationships. And for me, when I'm in flow, is actually when I'm you know having those those deep and meaningful conversations, making those connections, connecting ideas, and then enabling others just to to. Do what they do and, and do what they do best. Um, and that's when I find myself most kind of aligned in my life.
0: Mm. And so, for you growing up in Australia, then, what was the biggest cultural connection? You know, what was that element? You've mentioned the mix between faith and culture. So, where was that, those learnings for you? Yeah,
1: because we didn't grow up on. So, my mum and, and myself through we the Wemba Wemba, Jeddawajali, we're a guy in Goodnichamara Nation. So, I get my Aboriginal connections from my mum and Papua New Guinea. Um, connections from my father. Um, but growing up in Tamworth, which is Gomorroy country, it wasn't my own country out there, And um, but we were surrounded by beautiful elders. And, um, you know, these were elders that were the cornerstones in, in the community, um, you know, the, the first to set up the legal services, the medical services. And there's one particular story that has always stuck with me that they used to tell us as we well, were growing up, and it's about the um, the Warrumbull which is Gomorrah for the Gomorrah uh, word for the Milky Way, or it's more the Great River in the Sky. And it talks about this cycle that's been going on for thousands of years and this idea that when you pass away, your spirit returns to the Warren to reflect on the life that you've just had. But then when you return back to this cycle of life, you come in the form of shooting stars and you lay within Mother Earth. And then when it's your time to be born, it's not so much around the idea of conception. It's more around the idea of your spirit chooses who you're meant to be in the time that you're meant to exist. And the powerful thing about Hearing that story growing up and continually hearing that story also said to me that, you know, wherever I go in in life and where you know, which whichever country that I'm on, um, you know, I'm meant to be there. And uh, and so for me to grow up in in Gomorroy country, you know, that was such a blessing because it's being surrounded by such beautiful elders. But even though it wasn't my my mum's country, it wasn't my own country, I still felt felt very welcome, like this is where I'm meant to be. Um, and I think that's a really nice definition of, of home as well. It's a nice kind of link.
0: Mm, and what a beautiful story. And I love that, that your spirit chooses to be here now at that time. You it know. gives a sense
1: of urgency as well, right? And, um, not only it's a sense of purpose, but there's a sense of urgency that, you know, if we're on this cycle, um, then it's not necessarily about, you know, what can I achieve? You know, what, what's the thing that I can kind of tick off? It's more like how do I progress things? So when the next person comes through on that cycle, it gives them an opportunity to be able to, you know, lead. Um, themselves as
0: well. Mm. And so again, that's building on those multi layers of of yours that's around wanting to drive positive change, you know, re- being really motivated. And, you know, I, I met you at Space a couple of years ago, was it last year? Um, you know, and I was just like, wow, we sat down for breakfast just having to sit at the same table. And I was like, wow, that's a, a very motivated young man because you're like, yep, this is my ambition. These are my goals. And this is my path. I felt like you were very clear on goals and pathway and achievements. Is that correct, do you think?
1: Yeah, from a young age, I, um, I'd i kind of known where I'd like to go. There, there's been times where I kind of reflect and I feel like, am I actually making decisions for myself or am I just kind of in this current that's kind of like kind of whooshing me along? And, and the thing that I... Have valued in 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 life in recent life uh, recent years is the ability to make decisions and to to choose to to stop things to to open yourself up to other things but but I guess reclaiming control and I think an an identity in that is is really important in regards to reclaiming your identity or defining your own identity. Um, a few years back on my 22nd birthday, I had a bit of a, a crisis of confidence in regards to not feeling like I knew where I was going or, or what I was meant to do and feeling that I'd been told for many years that I was gonna be a, a young leader, a great young leader and not not really feeling like, well, why me? Or, or feeling like I'm ready. And I actually had the conversation with my father. He's the kind of guy that I, I turn to for a lot of advice. And he said to me, you don't always have to think about where you want to be don't always have to think about the man that you want to grow into. He said, you're surrounded by so many amazing people that you can borrow elements from them. And he's talking about values, like you, know, you might value honesty or integrity or courage, and you can start building the person that you want to be. And that's kind of shifted the way that I was setting goals for myself. So in in the past, it was around you know the achievement. And the achievement would be marked by you know, your, your salary or a new suit. <laughs> and now I set goals around how do I grow and how do I you know, bring people together and be a good convener?
0: Mm, well, certainly when I sat down for breakfast, I walked away thinking, wow, you know, and it wasn't just your ambitions or goals, you know, and you, you were dressed smartly. It wasn't about your next new suit, but it was more about, you know, you wanted to make change. You wanted to do things and, you know, and help other people. So, yeah, I certainly felt that there was a good sense of character there. So, what would you give as advice for others wanting to create um, their own unique pathway to success? It's kind of interesting because
1: um, the path that I've traveled is, hasn't been your, your normal path. So, I'm like a university dropout, dove into work and worked by getting my hands dirty. But I guess the, the, the element here that I think is really important for other people wanting to, to form it is, you know, what underpins the work that they're kind of doing? Like, what is that sense of purpose? And uh, I was recently asked a, a question um, which took me a bit of kind of time to kind of reflect on. And the question was around, you know, do you believe that you'll live a happy life? And, and this was in the context of you know, the kind of successes or the highlights, particularly after you know, reading someone's bio. And, and what people don't see is the kind of the valleys in between or the hard work that kind of goes into it. And, and the way that I reflect on that question is, no, I don't think so. I don't think I'll live a happy, mo- a happy life. I think I'll have moments of great happiness but then I also said, oh, I don't really believe in the premise. Like, I don't think the goal here is to actually live a happy life. I think there's, you know, the moments of happiness and pursuit of happiness. But I think it also, the, the life comes with, um, you know, the tensions and the, the struggles. Um, and I think that's where deep character is actually born. And, um, and when I think about the work that, you know, I want to do now and, and into the future, yeah, this is kind of the hard work. Like if I see myself as this idea of a, of a reformer, like a, a reformer of systems, um, which is a big title, then that's hard graft, like that's, um, that's hard work that takes time, that's incremental. And then, you know, another important lesson is that change is never promised. And then that tension, that struggle, a life of struggle and a life of tension, I think is a healthy life in regards to the pursuit of change. Mm.
0: Fantastic! I love that, it, and it reminds me. I've been thinking recently about for the people, by the people, with the people. It's like this concept that you know you can't just do for; it has to be by and with. Like there's these elements that I think interweave to really get people to have that sense of followership, ownership, connection to really you know make drive change. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: and what that also does is it takes the individual out of it in regards to what's the driver. So then it's not about the individual success, it's about the success of the group.
0: You know, I wanna also talk about your new role as council general um, for Australia and the first indigenous Australian to hold this role. And also surely potentially one of the youngest, (laughs)
1: like. Yeah, no, true. Um, Yeah, and it's interesting that that people have kind of been gravitating towards, you know, being the first indigenous person, which is, yeah, which is not an understatement in regards to quite an achievement, but, um, yeah, also the youngest person, I, I believe, as, as a 32-year-old stepping into the role. Um, and so it's been nice to kind of bring a different perspective and new thinking or when I do take over the role, which will be in December slash January, um, which I'll be taking up the post in, in Houston over in the US.
0: Tell us, explain the role, because I must admit, I don't understand the full context of what that role does. And also, what are you hoping to bring to it, you know, as the youngest. Um, and first Indigenous Australian to hold that role? Yeah,
1: so the Consul General role, the, in the US there's, uh, there's four Consul Generals. There's, there's um, you know, a number of Consul Generals right around the world and essentially these are Australia's representative from a trade and investment perspective um, but then there's also the public diplomacy element. So so I'm across there as a representative of Australia and Austrade, the Australian um, Investment and Trade Commission. Um, which sits separately but still connected to the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Um, So we have the ambassador to the US, um, um, Ambassador Sinodinos in, in D.C., in Washington, D.C., and my role essentially is being able to support Australian companies to be able to export and get a, a, you know, a soft landing in the U.S. that are looking to grow their businesses, um, but then also to be able to attract foreign investment into Australia. So the U.S. are our largest foreign investor. But the industries that I'll be focused on um, will be your, your tech, um, your med tech, as well as um, your fintech, uh, as well as uh, oil and gas, which is obviously it's a large industry down in Texas. But the niche that we're looking to kind of angle towards is more around the renewables and sustainability, um, which is really exciting because there's such an opportunity here in Australia um, to be able to attract great investment into large projects around renewable energy um, and also looking at the the prospect and the future of hydrogen um, as well. And so the other element, which is kind of less talked about, but I almost put it on equal standing, particularly coming from a... You know a background that values relationships and connections is the public policy piece so that public policy is around building connections locally with um with leaders and and communities uh and it's around you're finding the similarities and the differences between Australia and the US, and building a stronger relationship. That, that's you know the relationship stood for many many decades, um, but being able to form stronger relationships in, in contemporary times.
0: Such an interesting and exciting role. And how long do you hold that role for? Like so, you're moving the family to Houston, what sort of time frame is around that?
1: So it's a three year posting, uh, with the potential of having a, a second post somewhere else in the world. Um, but at this stage, I'm kind of just looking at what's the first hundred days look like, um, <laughs> and then um, kind of go from there. the The exciting element of having such a long time over there, three years, is um, you know being able to build connections with First Nations groups. and And to your question previously around what's the different perspective and different approach, you know, being you know Indigenous and already having connections with with the US and the the you know the growing or emerging global Indigenous economy, there is such an opportunity. To, to be able to step into doors that have previously been closed to uh, my predecessors um, because I come from you know, the indigenous communities here in Australia. And just that uh, the ability to share culture, share knowledge, but because there is that thriving economy, to be able to explore the the enterprise development, um, what's happening around economic development as well in communities and the similarities and differences in regards to voice and recognition, um, which is such a current current and important um, conversation here in Australia around uh, ensuring an Indigenous voice into government and Indigenous voice Um, on issues that impact our people.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, I assume you're referring around there as the work that's been done with the Uluru statement, you know, in voice, treaty, truth and conversations that have been coming from that. And it's interesting because that did seem to get a greater profile when the Black Lives Matters conversations was coming from the US. So I suppose there is, you know, interconnections there that might cross-correlate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, And whilst it is that kind of the global movement around Black Lives Matter. The, the interesting perspective that we saw here in Australia was really highlighting, um, you know, deaths in custody, black deaths in custody. And um, and this is a complex and, um, you know, important issue to be able to address. And, you know, we know that since the um, black, the Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody back in 1991, there's been over 430 um, Aboriginal people that have lost their lives whilst in custody. Um, and this is something that, that needs to be, looked at with with greater interest and really interrogated as to why are these issues happening? You know, is it relating back to the racial injustice? Is it around systemic racism um, within systems? And then the next step after that, which is what I'm always interested in, is how do you address that? And how do you change that? And what does the new experience, what does the new experience actually look like um, for our people? A
0: hundred percent. And, you know, I'm really interested as a non-Aboriginal, non-Indigenous person, um, how can I be part of helping that new experience and what can we do to help assist in that? And I feel like there is momentum and growth in – the, the real sincere support around that? Well, I, I hope so, <laughs> generally. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. um th- There's days where I'm kind of back and forth on, you know, is there is there genuine interest to affect change? But on the other side, you know, there's, there's wonderful people, you know, like yourself that are providing a platform to be able to have these kind of discussions, um, to be able to um, interrupt or disrupt people's kind of thinking and bring them into closer proximity to what's happening in the community around them. Yeah. Um, and to be Um, you know and be exposed and immersed in conversations that that sit outside of their their, their normal thinking.
0: Yeah so if you had any advice you know because this is a conversation I do have with other non-Indigenous Australians is there any sort of advice that you would give to help those people who want to help facilitate the new experience who are genuine in wanting to facilitate change is there key things that you think people could do you know the wider community
1: yeah no absolutely and um the the great thing that black, the black lives matter movement here in australia has done is really amplify the voices of, uh, of indigenous australians and also organizations working in this space and i think the um the opportunity that presents itself you know using platforms and you know this idea of you know um you know, Disseminating or sharing power is to actually uplift these voices and uplift these organisations. So for people that are standing on the sidelines kind of eager to kind of get in and kind of thinking, well, how do I support? How do I, um, you know, help the cause? It's really to kind of get a, a sense of the lay of the land in regards to the organisations that are community-controlled, community-led, that are supporting community voices um, and being able to back them. Um, and what that might mean is, you know, the, the, you know from a financial standpoint, from a, a platform standpoint, you know, being able to share their messages. And I think you know, the role of a good ally is to not to be standing in front, but to be standing beside and behind and always in, a, in an uplifting um, motion to be able to amplify um, these voices. Because, you know, the, the lived experience is critical um, and the the historical knowledge um, of injustices but then also successes within our community um, is really important and I think it's really important for Australia as a whole nation to, you know, this is that element that you mentioned before around the Uluru um, the Statement was also around the truth-telling and I think there is a huge opportunity and a huge want within community to understand the true history of our country, mm. um, to understand how we got to where we are right now but then also from a truth-telling perspective is how do we then move forward together? and from the conversations i continually have back in community and with community members you know they're not thinking about you know the grudge you know they're not thinking about you know moving forward with a with a grudge or moving forward in in division they're always talking about you moving forward unified stronger together
0: yeah fantastic well thank you so much for sharing those insights and uh, you know tips and advice because I think as you said these are such important conversations to continue to have if we can keep sharing uh, you know voices across more platforms then hopefully we can raise awareness and therefore help facilitate change I, I really do you know strongly hope for that In conclusion, though, Benson, can you give us, you know, you've given us so many great insights and tips, but can you finish by giving us your be the drop tip, which is your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires action? So, because be the drop is based on a saying that I love, which is a waterfall begins with one drop. So, it's all around communication that can connect and bring us together to create waterfalls, basically.
1: Yeah, beautiful. For me, it's always been the power of storytelling Um, and when I think about, you know, you know, our First Nations culture being an oral tradition, you know, it's the stories that are continually told. Um, but what what happens when you're telling a story is that you're also imparting knowledge onto someone else to be able to make it their own and to be able to evolve the story and, and bring their own values and their own experience into that story. The other thing that I love about the power of storytelling is you know in, in up in gomeroy country there's a there's a story about nitty Koloi. it's called nitty Koloi, which is around the red-breasted robin it's a creation story um that you'd tell to a, a young child but as they get older and you'd be telling the same story it's then about the values it's it's about the red-breasted robin um standing up against this snake that was um moving across the country and causing havoc and um It's about responsibility, it's about family, it's about connection, it's about agility, it's about courage. And then as they get a bit older... You can tell that story again in regards to about behaviors. So, you know, do you want to be the snake or do you want to be the robin? Um, and then it, it, it evolves. So you can tell the story from a, to an eight-month-old all the way through to an 80-year-old. And it always evolves and opens up new, new areas of kind of learning. It's essentially a pedagogy for, for teaching culture and value. But the, it's not only a story, it's a song and it's, it's, a, it's also a dance as well. And this is a beautiful thing, and this is just one story of of, of many that are across the country, but many that are in um Gomorrah country, and uh, and so when I think about the power of storytelling, it's about you know meeting people where they're at in regards to the the lessons they can take from it, um, but then allowing them to unfold the story as they as they get older and then as they apply different learnings and different teachings to it. And um, the other beautiful thing that I love about storytelling and and you know weaving in a narrative is that people are able to see themselves. So it actually allows for a bit of ownership or reflection from an individual. And when I think about how you inspire people, you know, how do you get people to, to want to take action, um, is to be able to, uh, you know, the element of empathy of them being able to see themselves in the story. Them being able to um, feel what you feel as the storyteller to, to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to take action. And... There's no better way to do that but but tell a wonderful and powerful and compelling story.
0: Oh, my gosh. I love it. I mean, I talk about the power of story all the time, but you have articulated and brought that together so well. Thank you. Fantastic. You know, honestly, I feel like I could talk to you and ask you questions forever. (laughs) (laughs) But I really do, you know, wish you the best of luck in your new role. I'm really excited to see what, you know, your different perspective and different, you you know, mindset and values bring to that role. I think it's really exciting. Congratulations.
1: No worries. No, thanks so much. It's amazing what starts over breakfast, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, what a great breakfast that was. I mean, space in itself, what an incredible conference. <laughs> oh,
1: it was an incredible experience. But I yeah. think that's why they say, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> it <laughs> well, sets you up for a good life. Oh, <laughs>
0: that's well, it. Good. Well, thanks, Benson. And we'll speak soon.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop.